one. Hey, you freak bitches. Oh, we're starting like I that. What's going on, guys? On Welcome to the Young Minds Podcast. I yeah. hope you're all ready for a um, incredible fucking story today. One inspiring motherfucker we had here today. Who's yeah. on the couch now. He's a little further away. But smiling at us. <laughs> smiling at us like Sending that. Sending us positive vibes like from it. the red couch. But uh, He's a fucking yeah. handsome dude. Yeah, for real. Damn, yeah. you handsome devil. Okay. Uh, so this <laughs> handsome devil, his name is Greg Chiafalo, and he has opened up his fucking yeah, heart he on this one. enough. Jesus. And gave us every, like, minute of his, his, uh, his uh, what is that, teenage life. Yeah. And uh, what has shaped him into the man he is today. And this is one powerful story, guys. And if you guys, uh, I, I know you could relate to this on any level whatsoever, but this will definitely be one for the uh, one for the people who need who need some direction. This will help you a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think his message has been heard. It's been heard in my own ears. And I'm I'm fucking I didn't even know this about him. So now this is like, you guys are getting a whole bunch. But uh, we tie it into health and fitness at the end and how you basically could go from a low and then crush it and come back to a really high high and, you know, prevail. Yeah. So. And then also, this is the first time I ever fucked up. My computer died mid-podcast. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. dude. I fucked up. So, yeah, we were so talking. So see if you could find, we were talking and then all of a sudden everything just boop black and i'm like no and i forgot to plug the charger in my computer of course great but see if you could find the spot where that happens because what we did is after it turned back on we picked back up from the conversation so see yeah if you i could, think see if you could pinpoint that yeah and let us know where you think that happened all righty guys well uh we're not gonna waste your time because this is a long one so uh without further ado i give to you wait what is this feeling in my brain it feels it feels like it's growing that, my friend, is knowledge. Because you're listening to Young Minds Podcast. And that's it. Now we're recording. We're hey, live. we are live so, on the podcast at this moment in time. Yeah, so we have uh, my new buddy, Greg. What's up, <laughs> Just everybody? met him 20 minutes ago. Frank, you've known him for... Known him for about how long? Maybe we're going on month. like a whole month now. A whole month, dude. Oh, yeah, you guys, getting serious. You guys it's are in serious. your honeymoon phase, though. Yeah. You're yeah, still in your honeymoon phase. Yeah. Well, we'll enjoy tonight. It'll be good. It's part of the honeymoon phase. So, uh, yeah, so basically <laughs> uh, we met at the gym. Uh, crunch fitness typical um, yeah just like I met all you guys both of you guys at crunch <laughs> and, uh, and both we had... all ran away from it yeah exactly <laughs> and we all ha- we all had aren't you flight. still there no aren't you... you're not a crunch anymore I'm not because oh, you just posted a video yeah it was a, a crunch oh, it's a throwback I stopped by once in a while yeah. okay. I still have the membership but very rarely I mean yeah for $11 a month why would you not have a membership yeah so basically if... Greg and I we stopped at, we I saw him so just to give a little backstory um, we were at crunch working out and Usually I'm like one of the only people who grab kettlebells and I was like, okay, wait, I see someone else grabbing kettlebells. Who's this? And he grabs kettlebell, starts doing like all functional movement, starts doing Turkish get-ups and shit. And I was like, see, I knew there was hope. And that just I knew gravitated, that gravitated Frank right on over. Yeah. Like, so then I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta say what's up. So I mean, the first time talking. I was there, this guy had the barbell with one hand just flinging it over his head and doing all types of weird shit so i figured this guy knows what he's doing yeah <laughs> it was fun it was it was awesome man like once i saw us going back and forth turkish get-ups i was like all right i gotta talk to this guy so uh we got into some really deep conversation talked about uh millions of different things uh didn't it range from functional fitness to health and then also to just how much we despise that gym and <laughs> it was uh it was really really interesting conversation so then we uh we ended up hanging out one day and got dinner 
and just fucking shot the shit for like three hours. And we're like, dude, you got to come on this podcast because our conversation just went deep, deep, deep. And you have a really interesting story and it was very thought provoking. And I thought it would be a perfect uh, topic to have on here. Perfect story. Perfect. Well, yeah. And, and also there's probably a lot of people out there who would love to hear someone else going through it or who mm-hmm. went through it and succeeded. Yeah, and to see that success story, like how it transpired, how yeah. you're not. Because st- statistically, there are a lot of people out there. Uh, oh, yeah. On this. Oh, yeah. yeah. So A uh, lot of yeah. people. So, uh, Greg, take the so, floor. So my spiel really is about, it's like really a story of mental health, or lack thereof, I should say. <laughs> and uh, that really led to a lot of issues for me. So growing up wasn't like terrible. It wasn't great. You know, parents got divorced when I was young. And... I had an older brother, so it was kind of, there's a lot of turbulence, basically. And you, you grew up here, right? Long yeah, Island? I grew up here on Long Island. What, what high school did you say again? I went to Plain Edge. Plain Edge. Yes. Okay. So it's basically upper middle class, uh, mo- predominantly white neighborhood. Yep. Uh, just like where I grew up. We both grew up in the same town. Very suburban. Yes. <laughs> um, Cookie cutter. Yeah. But we were like, I don't want to say we were the broke kids. But because I grew up in a household where, you know, my mom was a single mom and, you know, so money wasn't, you know, you weren't everywhere. buying the newest iPhone when it came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a little tighter, but it wasn't terrible. Um, but, you know, it's amazing the little things that can have an effect on you. So just the parents divorce and, um, you know, going through all of that, there was a lot of like, you know, mom against dad, dad against mom kind of stuff. I mean, I had I had the same thing, too. Definitely. Yeah. It's just sad that parents would do that to the kids, you know? <laughs> it's like, why nah, can't you just divorce it's right. and just make a night? No, because they did it to me too. I mean, they're human. Like, oh, dad's horrible. And then, mom, you know, dad's yeah. like, mom's just fucking crazy. It's just yeah. like, all right, well, both of you, how about you just both shut up? I mean, it was definitely easy to, to feel that way then. I look at it now that I'm like significantly older and I realize like they're equally as human as me, which means they also have no idea what the fuck they were doing. You know, I mean, they were young when they had us. So they were in their 30s when, you know, all of this was going on. And, uh, you know, it just was one problem into the next. So, you know, that was going on. And it was really like me and my brother were like each other's backbones. Like we kept each other kind of grounded. He's three years older than me. He was kind of always there, the person I looked up to. But uh, he really didn't like it at my mom's. He was definitely more of a daddy's boy. He wanted a little bit of more freedom that came with being at my dad's, where my mom was, like, super strict. My dad was pretty much the exact opposite. <laughs> so he wanted that, and he left. So once he left and my dad left, and then I couldn't leave. I had to stay with my mom because, you know, left, can't uh, leave my mom's house. That's where we oh, were Oh, just not the state, right? No, not the state. You still... Yeah, yeah. Okay. Everyone still, I mean, we're less than two miles from each other pretty much okay. always. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's exactly what my parents did too after the divorce. They stayed in the same town, just like actually literally two miles, like two miles away. Yeah. Uh, my, all my family is Oh, that's cute, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Got a lot going on here. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> good stuff. Keep going. So much chemistry. <laughs> um, but that, you know, once he left and like that's when things kind of snow- started snowballing. You know what I mean? He started getting a little bit older, got into high school and he started messing around with like, painkillers and stuff. My it's older brother. brother okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, he started messing around with painkillers and biking in and all that stuff. And that started progressively getting worse. So that added another layer of, uh, can I stop you right there. Yeah. Messing around with pain cu- painkillers. Like what does that 
mean? Because in high school, for me at least, that wasn't even like a thought between me and my friend group. So what does that mean? Like going out and partying and like instead of drinking or smoking weed, you took like a painkiller and just essentially yeah i mean basically it became something where it was i don't remember exactly how he got started into it someone must have given him one and then um i know he had a surgery later on and he just started kind of casually taking them oh so it was okay so from a surgery. medically induced yeah it, it, i believe uh, it began with that but i know it started significantly escalating at that point because you know this was this is going back this is going back like 15 years ago before everything with the prescription pills was really publicized mm-hmm. and people were talking about how dangerous it was. All he knew was I take this little pill and I feel, better. I feel good. Yeah. I feel much better. Not even good. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like 16 at that time. I was 13 and I, because I looked up to him, like I saw what he was doing and I was kind of intrigued by it. Like I knew he was taking them. He wasn't really shy about saying things in front of me. Hmm. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, the first time I took, Viking and I was 13 it was holy shit man yeah man. motherfucker <laughs> and that wasn't for pain that was no that was well, the older brother pain. the okay. older brother was physical doing pain. It. at that point I had already started smoking cigarettes I've already uh started drinking because just I guess just from wanting to escape so bad I started developing my rebellious streak pretty early you dude know? I'm pretty sure I was still coloring in, in, in like <laughs> books with at 13 Oh, no, no. I, I've always had a little bit of a rebellious spirit in me. I've Damn. always wanted to kind of just say, fuck the system. And so you, got, you just got mature quick. Super quick. Uh, I wouldn't use the word mature. Yeah, but yeah. I, I mean, would you use the word defiant, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so it was Christmas Eve when I first took it. And uh, we were at a family's oh, house. And was, my brother looked at me and goes, so do you, you, uh, you want to be sober for this? And I was like. Not, not particularly, no. <laughs> so that's when he gave me my first Vicodin. It was a 750 milligram Vicodin. So or, I don't know about milligrams. Yeah. Okay, so Vicodin ranges from like 500 to 1,000 milligrams. And that's about as strong as Vicodin gets. And then you could start really upping it into you get into Percocet and then you could get into Roxy's and Oxy's. And it all is basically... Just the strength of the pill. Mm-hmm. So seven fifty milligrams of Vicodin is like a normal serving. Yeah, like that's what you would get for like getting your wisdom teeth taken out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't much, but you know, at thirteen years old, I'm like, oh you know, dude, you probably got rocked. Forty. Pounds. How was that night? Yeah. So if you could describe the feeling without glorifying it, that's a tough one actually. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I know that's a trick question. Totally trick question. But before we talk about it, we are not encouraging the use of drugs. And we are very careful about yes, especially giving if advice. You're Thirteen, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So now hit us with the truth. <laughs> Tell us how good it was. But <laughs> Frank is so excited. Look at him. <laughs> I had to. I had to disclose. Oh my I god. I remember what feeling it starting to set in, and I'm laying on the couch, and I'm kind of like positioned myself away from everybody else. I went downstairs, just watched a little bit of TV, and as it started kicking in, I kind of just felt like it was like a warm sensation kind of just come over my entire body. And like, just suddenly everything stopped. Like the, my, my mind stopped racing. I stopped thinking about all the problems or things that were bothering me. There was no anxiety or tension. I was just comfortable in that moment. And once you have that once when you're, you know, 13 years old and you're dealing with 
anxiety and a lot of things that you don't even know you have yet. You haven't even figured out there are even things that other people deal with, you know, all of a sudden you feel normal. It's, uh, it's a feeling you want back. And that's what sucks about like drugs and painkillers and stuff. Like people take them for a reason. It's not like someone's just like, you know, you know, they're born to be a drug addict then like, you know, they gravitated toward doing drugs. There's a reason they take it and it works like for a very small period of time. It works. Mm -hmm. It solves that problem, you know? And for me, like it made me feel comfortable for like the first time ever. So at that point, so that will first time, right? So you position yourself on the couch, you got into you you got into that feeling you realized right there like hey there's an escape here and there's a way that i could kind of dim the light switch a little bit and just kind of phase things out yeah and it, it wasn't even as obvious as that like because i knew so little about it and because it it wasn't really that taboo yet like it wasn't something people were talking about and it wasn't like all over the news and all that stuff so I didn't even realize how serious it was. So to me, it was as simple as just taking a pill. Like a supplement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I feel better now. That's it. And that was all there was to okay. it. You know, I, would, I see that. I see yeah, that sure. side of I it. I got to like go into a 13-year-old mind and think like how simple it was. Just like black and white. It's yeah. very black and white. Yeah. It's just yeah. completely binary. And my brother was, you know, like I said, he was a person I looked up to. So like if he was handing it to me couldn't be bad of course and of course you know obviously he was just starting too so he didn't realize you know what was to come either so it's i'm not like blaming him for for what happened no no No, no, of course not it doesn't sound like it's just a storyline yeah yeah exactly i mean it was really just something that it was just chance you know it wasn't any anyone's fault in the family that you know it came down to that but it was different. Yeah. <laughs> so then from there, how did you, you associated this now with like a positive feeling. Yeah. And then from that moment forward, how did you view that drug? Like, did you want to go back to it constantly or like how often did you then look at it? Because I'm trying to see what the, how things kind of domino. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't become like overwhelming quickly. I knew I wanted it. I knew I wanted to do it again. I knew you know, at the opportunities I could get it, I would, Mm -hmm. you know, but those were few and far between at that point. At that time, I was still really more concerned with, you know, things that 13 year olds are concerned with, you know, meeting a girl or, you know, where do I belong with, who are my friends? And, um, you know, there's not too many people that walk up to 13 year olds going, Hey kid, you want some Vicodin? Yeah. So (laughs) I would, uh, I would get them, yeah, seriously. I would get them from, you know, my brother when I could here and there until I started getting a little bit older, 14, 15 years old. And that's when I started kind of making my own connections and my own friends. And uh, I started kind of transferring more into that, into that world. So at 15 is really where things started taking an interesting point. At that point, I'd really been experiencing a lot of like deep bouts of depression um, a lot of insane thoughts. Like I, depression is sneaky. It's weird because it's like, it's the, the horrible thoughts you have are so nonchalant and just so it's like, you don't stop yourself to think, Oh, that was weird. Like you're just sitting there and all of a sudden it's like, eh, if I jump in front of this truck right now, eh, things wouldn't be so bad. And it's like, it's just, it's so 
you brush it off as you say it. Yeah, it it just seems so like natural. You don't realize that like that's you know a pretty fucked up thought that it shouldn't be thinking that way. You just know that you don't feel good. You don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You feel kind of out of place, and you don't know really where to turn or you know where you belong. And so when you find something that makes you you know you feel better, you know you, you definitely gravitate toward it. So that's when I started finding friends who were more like myself. You know, at that point, 13, I was still hanging out with a lot of the kids that were on the football team and all the, you know, the quote-unquote popular kids. And, you know, a lot of those people are still, like, my really close friends to this day. But at that time, like, I did not feel like I belonged there at all. I felt so uncomfortable, so unwelcome. And, like, because I felt that way, it was almost like I was, like, trying to make that happen. You know, like, I would push people away from me and then wonder why I didn't get called to go out that night and then feel really bad that I didn't get called. Mm. So I started meeting more people who were like myself. You know, I started finding the, the skaters and the kids that were going to the hardcore shows and the people who wanted to, you know, sneak out at three in the morning and just didn't give a shit about anything. And, and I ended up, you know, changing my whole group of friends. And that's like, you know, we started going through a lot of, stuff together 15 was the first time i tried coke and that was at a you know a friend's party that is Damn, so you just young. gave me a monster at 15 dude and i was on coke like oh that's that's how i felt i was like dude we got monsters what about a candy bar yeah i mean that but i was oh, doing shit. monsters bro yeah. I, I, you're doing monsters I at 15 hardcore shit at 15 yeah shotgun and behind the school bro. <laughs> i know i know bro, i would man. get a monster chaos that was my favorite one the orange one i don't even know if they make it anymore just packed no sugar just like 300 milligrams of caffeine and i was like oh luca you want to do it yeah let's go and we'd go to <laughs> we'd, we'd go grab a taquito <laughs> i'd go get taquitos and the 7-eleven like uh, yeah 7-eleven taquitos the things on those rollers mm. and i would just grab one of those and a monster and it was just set dude I was like, oh, I'm lit, bro. I'm riding my bike so fast. Like, I, I, the, the power, the euphoria of caffeine at the time was just off. Yeah, no, we, so we were the kids imagine. that, like, while you were at the counter buying all that stuff, we were stealing everything out the back and running out. <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, were, we were those kids. It's probably the same 7 Eleven, too, because I knew exactly, like, definitely. And I think I know where you, you grew up. So, right, that same 7 Eleven. Poor 7 Eleven. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, I I owe uh, you six fifty still seven eleven. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. So all right. So now you, okay. So now you just open up a new can of worms here. So at fifteen you started yeah. dabbling with the speed. So just for people who don't know the difference between the two drugs, one is a downer but an upper at the same time, like the opiate. It's how do you explain an opiate's feeling? Honestly, like. It Mental, really like mood. Because the thing is, it, it's, it, it affects like, what everybody. Does it do to your different. physiology, like how do you actually feel? Like, yeah. oh, we're gonna go out and party and take opiates. No, like you don't. No, yeah, because I was gonna say, not, yeah. I was gonna say, I've taken uh, MDMA, mm -hmm. Molly, for like shows when EDC was popular, and that feeling is kind of like the same thing where you get super warm and you feel really good. But the thing that I think is different, but correct me if I'm wrong, because I have no clue. It's pure speculation from my point. Is that with MDMA? I'm just like super in height and I'm like, I love everything. Let's go. This music's awesome. And I'm just like, bop, 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 bop. and I'm talking like this. Well, unlocks and I don't like think, oxytocin. Yeah. I don't think drug like makes you feel like one with. Something yeah. Like it wouldn't M do that. Right. MDMA like you're not, spikes. You're not like mentally. Spikes, it spikes oxytocin spikes, uh, serotonin and you know, a couple other things where opiates is really, it's 
it's just your natural, like, well, it's not natural opioids, but it affects your natural opioid system. So it basically is an analgesic. It, it blocks pain. And, you know, there's tons of studies to back it. Like, painkillers work for emotional pain, too. Emotional pain and physical pain light up very similar areas and, and pathways in the brain. And when you take, you know, an opiate like that, physically you feel good. Yeah, you're relaxed. But mentally, if you are in pain, it it actually stops for a little while. That's crazy. Yeah. And That's actually crazy. Don't get all excited, people. That doesn't mean go out yeah. and start taking opiates. The yeah. horror story becomes shortly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, all right. So now you get into the... So Coke the, pretty much predominantly came over because along with depression and everything else, there was a little bit of uh, ADHD and things of that nature. So... You know, stimulants for some people will have them doing sprints and wanting to go party. And then for other people, it will actually settle them down a little bit, make them just focus and like, you know, your thoughts are suddenly coherent. And, you know, it does wake you up and all that stuff. So at that point, I was really just doing it because I wasn't supposed to be. Like, that's really what I found um, intriguing about it. Like, no one else was doing it. I knew it was taboo. I know I wasn't like allowed to do it. And like, that was definitely that rebellious side of me coming out. And that progressed pretty quickly. Like Coke started like really progressing quick at that age because, you know, this was 15. Yeah. Okay. So I, I had a pretty good run from like 15 to 16, about, about a year where like things really started taking off to the point where, you know, we were selling whatever we could sell. Now, video games. Question gone. for you: Throughout this, throughout like the thirteen to fifteen so far, did you have any anyone trying to like stop you at all, or was this all completely secret? I, like from I wasn't. Family or, it was completely secret. Like I wasn't so bad at that point where anyone would have even noticed. Okay. You know, because like it wasn't an everyday thing. You know, I mean, those, at that age, it couldn't be. Like you don't have money. You don't have. Yeah, time. Right. Class Connections, all, all of that stuff. But as you get a little bit older and you start learning the game better, it starts becoming a little bit easier. So, like, by 16, you know, I was a, I was a junior-level junkie at that point, yeah. I guess you could say. <laughs> Literally. Uh, you know, so I started getting the hang of it, started figuring out, like, how I could go about getting money and how I could go about using people and doing all the things that you do to, you know, get what you need. And that now, went on for some time. And as that started getting worse and getting worse, other friends started realizing, like, okay, this is a problem. They started just, getting caught. I was about to ask you. Yeah. Like, so, when did you realize, like, okay, maybe this is not right. Like, this is not what. Yeah. Well, I was one of the last to, <laughs> to make this jump to realize. Um, so I should say at this point, um, because my brother had moved with my dad, I really wanted to get out of my mom's house. It was, she was just, she was so strict and I, it's like, I could see the freedom. Like I could, I just, I see it. So I wanted it so bad, not realizing that like my mom was really doing it because she loved me and she wanted the best for me. You know, I, I couldn't see that at, the at time. that time. Exactly. To me, yeah, it was like, why can't I go not. be with my friends? Why can't I go out? you know, and stay out late. Why can't I do all this shit? And, it, and like, you know, that drives me nuts. So I started like really pushing her buttons and really pushing my limits until I was able to basically get myself kicked out of the house. 
And then once I was out of the house, you know, I was crashing on friends' couches and things like that for a couple of weeks until I was able to convince my dad to go live with him. So at this point, I'm now living with my dad and my brother and I'm like recently moved in and basically all this is going on at the same time where, you know, I'm, I'm now with this new group of friends. I'm now in a new environment, um, trying a lot of new things and I just didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. So once other friends started realizing it was bad, they started getting caught and getting in trouble for it. And like a couple of friends had to go away. Um, it was basically game down to like me and my one other friend and he ended up moving in with me and we just like, we ran for a little while. So we were, you know, using for a little bit, like there was days where like, we would go out and just sniff Coke until like six thirty in the morning, seven in the morning. And then he would drop me off at school and then I would go to the nurse's office, but like, oh, I don't really feel good. I'd sleep in the nurse's office for like four periods, then go to class and then I would, you know leave class, go do a bump in the bathroom, go back to class. Like shit, it was looking like it. I look at what a 15 year old looks like now. Like, yeah. Like I'll drive past the school and see what a 15 year old looks like. And you're like, you it's fucking like, child. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it really, at this point in my life, it just feels like a weird dream. Like it feels like something I saw in a movie almost. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause it's really weird hearing these stories from you and then knowing you now and seeing you now. It's just like, hearing you speak now it's like the transformation is fucking ridiculous yeah it's I'm, a complete 180 i'm super grateful that at some point which we'll get to yeah i was gonna say you skip yeah. a big chunk no there. i'm just i'm <laughs> but i'm just looking at contrast now yeah like do you look at 15 year olds and you're like they're all that was going on now and like i know what i was when i was 15 and that didn't even make sense weed was like <sighs> Oh my god! What are yeah. you doing? Absolutely Drinking not. was like, uh, okay. Yeah, I, pushed, I tried it. I pushed a lot of people away with my behavior, but it was right because it didn't matter. I had the other friends. Hell yeah! You know, <laughs> fuck them, <laughs> fuck them, fuck them. They don't get it, bro. Yeah, <laughs> they don't get how cool sniffing coke is, man. Yeah, for... <laughs> oh man! So now, all right. So now you're going. To, this is still in high school. So now you're yeah, 16. yeah. Fuck yeah! Going to the nurse's school. office. So sixteen, re-intro painkillers. Came off oh, the, so, so real yeah, quick, so, so you... I came off the coke, so, like, basically the way we did that was, like, we basically just decided, like, all right, we can't do this shit anymore. Like, we started realizing, like, how serious it was getting. We were finding ourselves in houses we should not be in, meeting dealers we should not be meeting. Like, we found ourselves in some really messed up situations, and, like, just keeping up with the habit, keeping up with the lifestyle, like, just couldn't be done. Like, we knew we needed to figure it out, like how to stop it. But we also didn't want to, you know, tell our parents that we needed help or anything like that. So we just kind of cold turkey stopped, which kind of worked, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but the thing with me is, I guess, I sh you know, skipped a little bit of my background, is that growing up, like, working out has pretty much been the only consistent. Like, even with all of this still going on, I still loved working out like i still loved the gym it was just a part oh, you of you started I was. working out at like 15 yeah 16? i started younger i started like viking in age like 13 oh wow so it's when i first started getting into it my dad was really big into fitness and he was always jack growing up and my brother worked out so even though we had all this stuff going on kind of behind closed doors you would never know because we were you know always going to the gym and working out and like we seemed somewhat normal to an outside observer 
And uh, so when I stopped, like that's when I would get back into it. But because I basically like didn't fix any of my mental health problems and was ignoring them, you know, going to the gym wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to get, I wasn't getting the results I wanted. I wasn't feeling good about myself, no matter how much progress I made in the gym. So when I stopped, doing coke that first time was the first time I started doing steroids. So when I came off of that, oh. yeah. So when I came off nice. of that, I was like, I'm like rail skinny. What'd you take? I started, my first cycle was uh D ball. Damn it. Fucking 16. Wait, wait, so you were, so you, holy shit, bro. Yeah. So you stopped. So when you stopped doing coke, yeah. you started doing steroids. Yeah. So, so like, okay. Cause it was kind of like, okay, well this is how I'm going to stop. I'll just go to the gym. And I'll I'll get really big. I'll work out. I'll be fine. But you just you just took one addiction, bro, to another addiction. Yeah, just exactly. Replaced. Dude, anabolic steroids at sixteen. Yeah. Who? How'd that affect you? Well, thirty pounds of muscle in four weeks. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it it affected like you know in the first couple of weeks it felt great and it was awesome. Uh, but having no idea how steroids work. Yeah, I was going to say, like, and having, I was just about to ask, did you PCT correctly? No, you, no, you not at all. So yeah. I took it and then coming off of it, now someone who's already started dabbling with drugs, someone who has anxiety disorders, you know, depression, all of that stuff, coming off of it was like a nightmare. You know, your hormones with are your hormones, already crazy yeah. at 16. Now I'm yeah. coming off of anabolic steroids and <laughs> all types of stuff. So, you know, that was when we started really getting back into the painkillers again because didn't know how to, just couldn't handle it. Like I couldn't handle the emotions and everything that was going on. Like everything that I felt negative before was just multiplied by a million. So at 16, it was a little bit easier because I had friends who had parents who had medicine cabinets Mm. and, you know, all of a sudden it wasn't so hard to find painkillers. Now, like this is back in the time where, you know, painkillers were everywhere. This is when they were over-prescribing them. This is when, like, this is what they talk about when they say, you know, the, the opioid epidemic that started, like, this is really where it What, what year started, was that like, to be exact? 06 or something? Yeah, it was like 06. 06. And, like, it, it, they were just everywhere. So it was so that's easy so to get recent. them. It was so easy to get them. Like, you can't really, the, if you couldn't buy them from someone, you could find them in someone's cabinet. Like, it was just easy. And, you know, taking them, the tolerance starts going up. So I'm still just using with my friends too, at this point, by the way, my brother's off doing his own thing. Like we don't, aren't even really fully aware of each other's, uh, addictions yet, I guess to, at least to the extent that they're like to where it was going, he was kind of doing his own thing. And I was just doing my shit with my friends. So that starts, you know progressing and gets a little bit worse and we start taking some heavier stuff so we'll you know jump forward two years to 2008 when i graduated um after that year was it that year 2000 no it was the summer of 2007 going into senior year sorry that's when um we started really getting into like oxys now can't put like an exact number on it offhand but like 180 milligram oxy was like 15 Vicodin at least, <laughs> at least. Jesus, does that even 
Okay, so so if I were, I'm not, you know, I have zero tolerance yeah. to painkillers. If I took an oxy right now, we'd be taking you to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Really? For, from what? You, what would I? If you took an 80 milligram, that was the highest milligram you could get at that time. Yeah, you. I would my body going to shock and just shut down. Pretty much start overdosing. That's, yeah. Damn. See, that's weird because I did when I was 16. I got my wisdom. No, 17. I got my wisdom teeth taken out, and mm-hmm. they gave me oxycodone. I Oxy, don't know what I got. Oxycodone is, is Vicodin. That's okay, just so what's that's oxys then? Oxycontin. Cotton. That's the oh. difference. Yeah. Okay, so this is where I'm getting educated. Yeah. Then. It's it's a much, much higher potency. So oxycotton. Yeah. It it, it acts the on the receptors boy. significantly. And now is it's that basically just synthesized heroin. What would the Fun. medical use of that be if it's that strong? Or is there not a medical use and it's just black market? No, there's um honestly there's probably still it? a need for them. Like people who have like cancer. And like severe illnesses, like it's for people who are in a lot of pain, just like, they, just like know, chronic, chronic. Pain. yeah, 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 full body. Because at least you know, even if you're using it for pain, you still get a tolerance at some point. So if you're if you have cancer and your disease is getting significantly worse, and you're getting a tolerance, like eventually you're going to get up to that point. But at that point, like oh, we were this taking makes so much more sense now. Sorry to cut you off. No, I mean like, sense with what? No, just like how prescription drugs can escalate because of how many different variations and up the sc- so how like they start from so little right so you have mm. your vicodins and your oxy uh codone oxycodones so they're like the minor minor leagues and then you have the major leagues the oxycotons and the morphines and the then you yeah. have um, Fenton- fentanyl, fentanyl was really big was really big then too like i mean you want to hear something like really screwed up like back then we got fentanyl lollipops like Regularly. Wait, 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 wait. Can you explain so, that? What yeah. is that? This is... They're literal lollipops that were made for cancer patients who couldn't actually swallow, but they were grape-flavored lollipops that tasted delicious and got you really fucked up. So it was a painkiller. Painkiller yeah. lollipops. So fentanyl... Really fentanyl. Just trying to fuck all the kids. Here's a lollipop. Yeah, it's pretty good. Get in the van. I got candy. But those things, oh, like, shit. if you get the highest microgram fentanyl, I mean, like, that's, like, you're talking like a hundred times the strength of morphine. See, like, like this is you ever you ever watch one of those uh, those things on inst- like YouTube or Instagram where it's like the, the this Earth, is you you're yeah. on the planet Earth and then this is the sun the sun is a million and times the size of the Earth yeah. oh and then exactly. there's this star called fuck off point six nine <laughs> and it's nineteen thousand times the size of the sun this is what I feel like and you're doing an, and you're yeah. doing this with drugs and this is what I'm talking about like how like that's all under the same legal umbrella. Just like, hey, yeah. by the way, you have pain. Um, we could uh, look at this. We have a whole. Uh, <laughs> Ta da! We have a, <laughs> we, it ranges from lollipops to candies. <laughs> hang to, on, uh, hang on, folks. It gets worse. <laughs> All right, I'm just putting my seatbelt on. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't worry. The story has a happy ending. So, you faggot. You know, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, let's keep rolling. Dude. This is fun. Uh, you didn't bring any lollipops? A few. No, uh, <laughs> too much, too far. Dude, too they, far. those things were fucked up. Damn. My brother was really bad with those, and like he was like the only person who could like get a steady supply of lollipops. Yeah, and like I remember one time my dad so going through his room weird. and found a fucking duffel bag, and like they had oh my god, like it's just the casing. So it was like a little plastic casing that they came in, and like I kid you not, this was like a full size gym bag that was packed with empty casings like to a point where we had like, a hard time like zipping it closed so as i was getting worse my brother was getting way 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 worse like 
so his his story is simultaneously going on as mine is and the reason I'm not getting caught at this point or being seen is because he's so obviously bad that he's gained all the attention at this point he's already like stealing from people and everyone's concerned about him so I'm like easy he's the guy under, flying under the radar he's the guy under with the, the machete radar. bushwhacking yeah. and you're behind him because well, he's, like, he's okay. three years older than you right? yeah. yeah so yeah, so I was able to like stay very low key because I, you know, he was just so loud about it. So the progression just obviously kept going. Um, at this point, so like I said, this is the summer of 2007 going to 2008. So I just, before we continue with the story, like how yeah. do you, if you can recall back, how did you feel at this point being an 18 year old kid? And did you think of yourself as like, oh my God, I'm addicted to all this? Or you're just like, Oh my God! Fuck the world. This is what my like, real life is. Like, what? What were I would, your thoughts? If I you would, could remember, I would so. say both. Like, I was addicted to it, but would you tell yourself is, that? This is gonna sound weird, but there was almost like a weird sense of pride to that. Of course, because it's finally something that you have identity with, or you identify as like exactly. your friends and us. Exactly. We're like the greasers, man. We're like the people. Like we're chilling. Yeah, that's what right. You we're a bunch of drug taking, steroid using street fighting assholes and like yeah. we but we had a brotherhood like it was you know to us like that was life well there's genres around it there's musicians yeah, around like it. nwa there's bands. it's like the white nwa there's there's <laughs> you know yeah i feel like that you just i would say it was, i would say modern day motley crew okay yeah i'll take that but we were it was you know it was different but so like, it was cool you felt cool you were like yeah yeah like you it, were doing you and fuck everyone and exactly and like I said, I mean, I've always, I still to this day definitely have that rebelliousness. Like I don't do shit because that's the way it's done. Like it's still, but I think that's also one of my biggest gifts. I just used it really, really wrong for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, so to jump back into the story at this point, this is where things start like really speeding up. Cause I stopped using, I went to rehab <clears throat> as I was 19, just turning 20. So like I turned 20 in rehab. So how did that? So, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But so th like in this small time frame from about 2000, like senior year of high school to this point is where things really just picked up and like escalated very quickly because it stopped being like, Oh, we can function and be out and be those cool kids on this shit. And it started being, I need this. Like it's, when it starts really taking over and you know what you were using is no longer enough especially when you start getting into that oxycontin fentanyl level where you you really can't conceptualize how strong the stuff you're taking is because you gradually got there um so we were at a friend's party and this was all the way out east for uh it was a halloween party and we stayed for the whole weekend and while we were there I was in the backyard and she had this deck that was like 20 feet high. It was pretty good, pretty, you know, decent sized deck. And, you know, we were like parkouring off of it. You know, we would jump off of it, hit the ground, roll out and oh, all that. So on the last attempt. Snap, snap. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I Both. tilted forward, went off the wrong way. Like my foot snagged the deck. I went straight down and landed like. Like my face heading, facing the ground. 
So I put my arms out in front of me, like realizing that that was like a pretty bad idea. My arms completely locked out, broke both my elbows. Oh, fuck your elbows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel it at the time. I definitely felt it the next day. I didn't feel it at the time. Oh, man. But, you know, drug addict mind, that's an opportunity. I'm in mm. two slings, two casts. So I get pills from the doctor, but we come up with this ingenious plan to get blank scripts from a doctor's office, fill them out, go to a pharmacy, and we knew they weren't going to ask any questions. I'm walking in there all mangled up. And before you know it, we found our own little way to get scripts out of a doctor's office, fill them out. We found a pharmacy where there were young people working behind the counter. They didn't ask any questions. How did you steal it from the office? When he wasn't looking, you just grabbed it. Yeah, we knew some. Also, knew some people that were in, like working, that were older, that were working in offices that we could throw a couple pills to, and like they would do it. And oh man, there was ways to finagle that at that time. Like I said, this was before they really started cracking down and realizing what was going on. So, at that point, we're filling those things like crazy. So we're filling them like selling crazy. Some. My tolerance and is I'm ridiculous. Just Going to the pharmacy pretty much entirely too often with no regard to anything, really. And we started getting a little bit too cocky, a little bit too... Like, I got this? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, they're not going to catch us. They have no idea what's going on. Were you still taking Oxycontins at this point? Oh, yeah. Is that the the top? Like, what's the top? That's pretty much as high as it goes up in terms of pills. Especially then, because now they put, like, a, a gel inside of the Oxycontin, so you can't break it up and sniff it. Because when you were able to break it up and sniff it, you could bypass the time release and you could, you know, just snort it in your high pretty much immediately. Whereas we're now like you have to take them because the gel ruins it. But um, at that point, so to put it in perspective, like we were talking about before, like if you took a single lady now, like there's a good chance that we're taking you to the hospital after it. I was taking about 30 of them a day. 30 80s? Yeah. A day? Yeah. I had an endless supply of them. So how are you right? All right. So my question before you even went into this was like, how did you, you had these scripts, right? Mm-hmm. Blank scripts. Yeah. So you. We got a pad. You we a took pad. we took a whole fucking uh, pad. Oh, damn. So you had like five or six slips and like, <laughs> you had to like, all right, I want 60. No, no, no bro. Go big or go home. So how did you, so how did you know like how much to prescribe yourself? I know you, it was up to you, but like, we how knew, did you know? We like, knew the people. Threshold? who knew how to fill them out and they okay, taught us it. how to fill them out. Got it. I mean, I'm not asking for myself, but I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, just, why, why are you so interested? Yeah. I, you got any pads left? <laughs> okay. So, it did but, fuck. But we really were, we were getting way too reckless and we went, the problem, what happened was we went to a different pharmacy getting a little too cocky mm-hmm. and while I was in the pharmacy, the guy goes, all right, well, we got to call your doctor to make sure to verify this and I was like, Oh, fuck. You know, it's like, oh, you know what? Hold on one second. I forgot my idea at home. Trying to get around it. He ended up having the script. He knew, and, right? Yeah. So I didn't get caught then. We left. But about a month and a half later, I got a phone call because, like, my address that was listed was my grandma's house. And Mike, uh, my uncle was living at the time. So I got a phone call while I was at my dad's that, you know, two detectives knocked on the door looking for me. Which my dad was like, you sure they're not looking for your brother? And like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm like, 
uh, he's like, well, what could this be about? I'm like, oh, I have no idea. I knew damn well. I was like, shit. So I ran to my room, took whatever I had left because I knew it was going to be a long few days and I did not want to be sick, which, you know, is delaying the inevitable. And the detective showed up at my house, said, you're under arrest. And, you know, do you know why? I'm like, no, I have no idea. Got down to the station, and obviously at that point, they had me dead to rights on camera. All that BS. So after that, it was, you know, okay, we need to get our shit together again time. Mm-hmm. We all decided to, we're going to detox, and that was that. Like, and we were able to do it for a little while, but using the same method that we always used when it was time to get better. And by still we, like- it's still like, you know, me and like one or two friends. So back on steroids, back in the gym. Oh, yeah. Time to get <laughs> shit right. Now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. So I just wanted to bring up a point because I've been, as you guys saw, I was on my computer. Uh, my girlfriend, Caitlin, she's she works at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, next year, she'll be a full-time nurse. So she signed up to these, like, newsletters that, I don't know, they, like, forward her notifications about new things that happen in the uh, hospital industry, whatever the fuck you want to call it, prescription. So the other day we were at the gym and she got this notification and the FDA, this was a week ago, the FDA approved a new drug, a new synthetic opioid that is 500 times more powerful than morphine. And it's called DSUVIA, DSUVIA. But anyway, they're just pumping out more and harder, pumping out more. Oh, good news for everybody. Yeah, right. (laughs) This is great. Damn. So wait, so uh, all right, so you get. It's actually not even surprising like, uh, that they do it, that. It's really not. It's pretty screwed up. I guarantee you, it's just like a new version that's probably going to be easy for people to abuse and get their hands on. Because fuck everybody. That's why it's just too much money in it. Yeah, it's crazy. What is what is the money behind the prescription industry? <laughs> do you know? Well, I mean, just the margins on the drugs is, and the is frequency. Is it like a trillion or is it multiple trillion industry? Oh, that, I mean, it's multi-billion, but I mean, regardless, it's easy, easy margins, high frequency, high turnover. And and it's not chronic even, use. it's not even just the pills that make money, but then it's the pills that get people off the pills and, and rehabs are making money and, and insurance companies are making money. And it, it's just a, it's just a big cycle to keep dollars coming out of people. That's yeah, a self-fulfilling but, prophecy. Yeah, I try to. Yeah. <laughs> Eighty-six billion in two thousand fifteen. It's not as much as I thought it would have been. Eighty-six billion. That's a lot. It's a lot, but like, yeah, that's money I'm that's just, accounted for too. That's not like eighty-six billion. Yeah, like heroin and yeah, like you know, I mean, like stuff. they weren't obviously totaling in like you know someone like stealing. what I was doing when I was stealing scripts and selling them. Like they weren't. That's not factored into the. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was easy to keep but. that habit going at that time until obviously I got caught. Yeah. So now back in the story at this point again, trying to get my shit together again, same exact cycle again. You're 20? 20 now? No, at this point I was 18. 18. Yeah. So I was able another to round of steroids. Another round. <laughs> so this is I was able to string. <laughs> cares about. I was it. able to string this shit along for a little bit, all the way up until what was graduation. Your training routine like your split. Bro split all day. It's just fucking chest try, bicep, back, yeah, back and that's legs it. like once a month. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love oh, it. Man. It's perfect. You know, typical. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so much. Oh, man. 
Uh, sorry, yeah, sorry. no, looking back, looking back you at brought it up now, working out, that's it. Yeah. Justin's eyes lit up. Oh, we got to get back into that. Don't worry, we're, we are going to get back <laughs> no, into totally. that. That's yeah, we are. How, podcast, let's how I ended up here, really. Um, so, so 18. 18. 18, juicing. Graduation. Got out of school. That summer, you know, still juicing. Like, the summer months where I was able to, like, kind of keep myself together. Like, that was when it was, okay, back on juice, back in the gym time. I want to look good. You know, GTL. I, do you think because you had time for yourself, like, to do your own things, like the, uh, the gym and the... I think it was more just because it was summer and freedom. I didn't have to go to school, and, you know, beautiful weather. Everyone's out doing things. It was easier to kind of distract yourself. Yeah. And this wasn't saying, like, I wasn't taking anything just because I was going to, like, I was, it was like, okay, I'm just not taking these pills right now, you know, but... If I could get Coke, I did Coke. If I could get ecstasy, I would take ecstasy. If I could, whatever I could get my hands on, I took. And as this, you know, starts getting worse again, um, let's see, when was it? Oh, no, I'm sorry. This, I actually forgot a very important part of the story because when those pills started running dry and we, we hadn't stopped yet, you know, we needed something to get us high and that's when heroin entered the story oh damn yeah wait 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 so just to give me timeline this is pre getting caught this is post getting caught oh it's post getting caught yeah yeah gotcha gotcha okay so like once i got caught we kind of ran with it for a little bit so no jail time no longer i didn't get jail time um i was gonna i was in court for like a year before i even got sentenced got it so yeah, it was actually almost a full year before I even got sentenced. So I didn't That's have to worry. So annoying. I didn't have to worry about drug tests or anything like that, though. Yeah. Why is that? Oh, because he's not. No one was testing convicted. me. Yeah. Oh. They basically, I don't know if it was the court or my lawyer, but someone just kept pushing the case back and pushing the case back. So I was just going and wasting money and time. The DA. Yeah. Definitely was. I went through the same shit. Yeah, it's not a lot of fun, but fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's- at that point, though, like, obviously, I wasn't going and filling any more scripts, and I had a need to fill. So we knew that, you know, or we've heard, you know, well, through my brother, actually, he was the one who was like, well, you know, heroin is basically the same thing as opiates. Like, if you're sick, you could do that. And it's like, I've been sick, and I've done that before. And so we started, like... So that word didn't fuck with you at all? Because uh, I feel like yeah, every dude, every word, like, every, like, cocaine sounds like fun like cocaine no. like marijuana sounds like they sound different heroin sounds like from the fucking second you hear it you're like that's the uh, it's, it's the herpes of the drug world it sounds like yeah. it yeah it's literally <laughs> like you fucking knew that right off the bat yeah exactly so i don't know it just always free it freaked me out it was like a slimy word for me so i was like but you're, you're you, also like, you have to put in perspective like i know he's I know. looking for something right like you uh, needed something uh, even well, that at that yes, level, even I, at that point, like it was, I don't know. There was just this thing, like this fucking curiosity. I guess, like I needed to know. Mm-hmm. I needed to know what it was like. I needed to do it. Like I didn't feel like scared about it. I didn't feel like I wanted to do it. And it sounds insane, but do you I, think it's no, but I guess of at that point. the environment you grew up in, like with all your friends and everything, that it kind of just made it like. Yeah, it was was like another another... thing we were going to do together. Like, it was another thing, like, just something to face, like. Because you've basically, like, warmed up since you were 13, warmed up gradually all the way to it. Yeah, and it's 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 kind of just always been, 
Um, so it, can, it makes it, sense. It's, it's always like been like, how increase. far can we push this? That's what it's always been. It wasn't even as much as it was like, I need the drugs. I need it. it was how far can we take this? Just for fun. Right. Or yeah. Yeah. if you put yourself in that 18 year old mindset, I'm yeah. like trying to, as I listen intellectually while also bringing it down mm. to like my immature self, like well, I'm trying to be both. And it's, it, it's like, I'm like it, trying there, to empathize. there's an insane like battle basically going on in my head at this, at this point, because I know what I'm doing is a little fucked up, but I also know that I don't want to stop. I want to keep doing more and all of that. But then there's also the mental health aspect of it where it's like, it really was because I didn't give a fuck about myself. Like, I didn't care what happened to me. It was almost like, like you said, like when you're in depression, like the thought of like, oh, I could die doing this is almost like, yeah, cool, good. Like, it's it's just that natural because you just feel so shitty. Like, I had such a terrible, like, perspective of myself and, like, who I was and, like, I just didn't care about anything. So when you took all this stuff, that completely went away, right? Yeah. And and it, it was almost more like a middle finger, like, fine, like, society doesn't, like, I don't fit in with society, like, fuck you, this is what I'm going to do then, like, this is who I am, like, you know, it was cool going into really, really, really shitty neighborhoods, uh, like, it, it it gets a little crazier as the story goes along up until the... Oh, wait, the I'm excited, more. yeah. Like, <laughs> where else can go? So, so heroin Keep comes digging. around, we start dabbling with that, we get a connection in town, and, um... A good friend of mine passes away. Uh, she was like the one who got us our first batch of heroin. And uh, she overdosed at a young age. So that kind of shook us a little bit. So that's when, you know, that was the summer that we stopped for a little bit. We pulled back, got back on the sauce, started getting our shit together. Third cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Third cycle. Oh, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Got my, you know. I'm just so curious now. At, have you checked your hormones? Yeah. Fuck yeah. off. You, uh, <laughs> what? No, no, it's, it's a legitimate question like, because like it, it screwed me for a while. Like, I, I bet it did. Yeah. It, it, fucking I had to, I, I had a lot of corrections to be made because like it, that just made all like the depression, all that stuff. Like it made it so much worse. It made it to the point oh, where that, like, I mean, that's everything. Yeah. It's all hormone related. Oh, it, did, it was a fucking nightmare. Um, did you, did it take years to get like a, no. No, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. And a lot of it was because of rehab and like, I started getting like healthy and cause I was so young, my body was able to kind of bounce back. But yeah, like, I mean, I was thinking about it before during the story, I was thinking, you know, the years of when you're born to 10 to 15 years old to 16, like that whole range, that's like when you need to be putting like the best stuff in you because you're mm -hmm. growing the fastest you will ever grow in your entire life at that moment. So I was listening to your story. I'm just like, Oh man, that is, that's tragic that it's an, even an option in this world Yeah, to do all that stuff. Dude, I am so lucky. Like there's, there's a lot of things that I have to like stand back and, and just like count my blessings for. Mm -hmm. And that's like one of them that like everything is still in working order. Like I didn't fuck myself horribly you know um yeah I mean, but every time i did it it always had the same result when i decided to come off of it not only like you know everything came back times 10 it was in yeah heightened up had no energy to go to the gym so you stop going to the gym your hormones are tanking estrogen levels to the roof extra sensitive about everything under the sun <laughs> just crying at those sad dog commercials for no reason <laughs> 
And so, you know, once again, it's time to get back on drugs. Fall comes around, starts getting a little colder, even a little bit more depressing. There's no sun. There's no vitamin D. Right, Frank? Yeah, no vitamin D. No vitamin D. Winter depression. Yeah. Um, but so at this point, um, one of my friends never stopped doing heroin. Like we, a lot of us stopped and he never stopped. So he ends up going to rehab and like, we haven't really heard from him in a while. He ends up going to rehab upstate. Like it's like about six hours upstate. And, uh, one day we're at my house and I get a call from my friend's older brother. Like, yo man, Brian's, uh, trying to like get out of rehab. He's trying to like break out. We're going to go, we're going to go get him. So I'm like, all right, get, get him as in like, like, help like, him. like we're going to go all the way six hours upstate so he could sneak out of a window and jump in shit. the car and we were going to drive him back home. Now, is that against like, no, I mean like he wasn't court mandated there. So, okay. We weren't really okay. breaking any laws, but like, yeah, that was my, question. obviously exactly. they prefer their patients to leave in another manner yeah, to chugger, <laughs> jumping out of the window at <laughs> you know two o'clock in the morning um so we scooped him and obviously we all knew why we went and got him you know i want to do hood rat shit with my friends exactly <laughs> we knew he was the only person in town who knew how to get more shit oh. so we picked him up took him all the way back seven o'clock in the morning rolls around no one slept we just pulled in we're like, okay, we're going to go to sleep for a couple hours and then we're going to go pick up the stuff. 7.30, I get a phone call. All right, we're going right now. I'm like, all right, fuck it. <laughs> Drive to Brooklyn. We got to Brooklyn and we picked up, all came back to my house and that was, you know, that was it from that point. That was like, a, you know, now it's relapse time. So he ends up living with me because he can't go home because we just broke him out of rehab. And his parents don't want him home. So he ends up living with me. And now I'm with him every day, going to Brooklyn every day. Like, like we never skipped a beat. And we're picking up. So I start meeting his connects. How, I start, how old are you? At this point, I'm, I'm still 18. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. Still, I'm still 18. I turn 19 in, like, that March coming so up. Did so you, it's the winter did you have... Uh, did you have like a job outside of this or something you had to do or yeah or, yeah i'm trying I, to like paint the picture because so, i'm thinking of when i'm 18 you know i had i had like to worry about a b and c mm -hmm. and then like if i wanted to smoke weed was like a later thought so to, to kind of break down my living situation what happened was that my dad got an apartment and my brother wasn't living there anymore he was living with a girl at the time and so my dad got this apartment, but he was living with his, uh, or staying really with his girlfriend at the time. So he was never home. So I had this whole apartment to myself, ground floor. Sure. And, but like, like he was down the block and I was old enough to be on my own or at least so he thought. And uh, so I had a lot of freedom, but I also worked with him. You know, he have a family company. We do masonry work and concrete and things like that. So, okay, I you know, so was, that's what you were doing growing up, like yeah, masonry yeah. work. So at that point, I was just already working full time with him, and then I would get home, and then that's you know we we would go to Brooklyn and and handle okay. all our shit. Yeah. Okay. 
just curious because no, no, the way a, you were saying like a, every day is just wake up Brooklyn it, home, wake up Brooklyn home. I was like, yeah, right. Fuck, like that's <laughs> well that's to me those deep. were the yeah. those were the only things that mattered at that time. Like everything else was just details. Yeah, but um, no, it's it's a good point to bring up, honestly. So that's starts getting pretty bad. Now the other thing I forgot to mention was he was the the kid who was staying with me. Let's just let's just call him Brian. He uh, he was the only person who was shooting heroin at the time. We were all sniffing it. Oh, you could sniff it? Yeah. Yeah, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we were all sniffing it at the time. And I'm assuming there's like a huge difference in the way you feel it if you inject it and yes. sniff it. So, again, curiosity gets the best of me. He's living with me. I see him do it. I'm like, you know, what's that like? And you would think like, looking back at it now, like you would think like, you shouldn't you be like really scared of that? Not curious, but... I wanted to know. I wanted to know what it was like. So I did it. He did, you know, my first shot for me. And then it wasn't any more than a week later before, you know, everyone else that was using with us all doing the same thing. Damn. Yeah. So that, that year was. And you're 18. Yeah. So 18 (sighs) about to turn 19. So that whole year, that was pretty much, that was, that was your child. Yeah. Yeah. I know. So it's, it's, you, you look back at it now and like you see what, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds look like. And you're like, dude. Yeah, you're like, no fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's how young it starts, man. Like, that's when people. Of course. Feel the shittiest. And that's when they don't know anything yet. They don't know any, like, you know, it's. It's just different. Like, your mind hasn't even, your brain hasn't even really developed yet to like put two and two together. No. So that, that whole year was basically just a repeat of that. It was, you know, every day f- scam somebody. Um, I got to the point where we had a new dealer and this guy was no joke, man. I was going to East New York and I don't know if you've ever been to East New York, but there's parts that you just, you don't want to go to or especially back, pretty, then. back then. I was going to say was 10 right, years, now, right, right now, it's not right now. bad. East is really nice. But 10, <laughs> 10 years ago. No, no, no. East New York, but, Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't a, know shit. See, this is my yeah. No, no. That's East that's New a place. That's a place in Brooklyn, like East New York. Uh, it's kind oh, of sort of near like the eastern part of New York City, where Upper East yeah, Side upper, is. I was yeah. like, that place oh, no, is no, fucking no, beautiful no. now. Because no. I've never been there. I get, I get like Harlem is okay. You know, okay. north of that. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's what I thought you meant by East yeah, New York. Oh no, no. Where I was going was like Brooklyn. Put it this way: like you walk into the building, first floor. Sold coke, second floor sold crack, top floor where I would go sold heroin. Mm. You get into the apartment, you walk in. Now, on the way up to the apartment, the flight of stairs, there's like six stairs that are caved in. So you have to like jump the stairs in this rundown shitty. It's just like, like a movies. Max Payne It's like just game. like the movies, right? <laughs> you ever play Max Payne? Yeah. It's exactly. Pretty accurate. Like, like if you think of those rundown buildings, like that's where yeah. we were going. Holy shit. But like you would get up into the building, you would walk into this room. It was completely empty. There is a bathroom with just a toilet and a sink. The shower was in the basement. It was like a communal shower because it was government-assisted living. And um, that's where I met my guy. We'd just go in there. But, you know, you would go in there. There'd be eight or nine people all with guns. And, like, it was like a real operation at that point. (coughs) So... We end up getting in with that dealer really well, and he ends up renting the apartment in Long Island where we were living. 
he ends up renting the apartment upstairs from us so he could traffic things from Brooklyn to Long Island better. And I started running things for him out here on Long Island. So at this point now I'm also selling this Making some business moves. Entrepreneurship, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like no bullshit, bro. But yeah, no, it was no bullshit. Like I, I was in some pretty deep shit. Like I was moving a lot of it too. And, uh, we ended up just kind of losing contact. Like I, I stopped selling it for him and we kind of just stopped messing with him. I think my brother owed him money or something. So we just stopped messing with him, started seeing somebody else. But that was pretty much like where things started to run dry. Cause at that point, like I had, hadn't ever really been using with my brother a lot, but like once we started getting into the dope, he kind of became like, it became down to like me and him. Everyone else started kind of falling out, either getting help or getting caught or whatever. It just kind of came down to just me and him. And we kept just doing that. And, uh, like I said, he, he got like really bad and he had something that like I didn't have. And that was like, he had no issue stealing to get the shit he needed. And, uh, we, I helped him steal something like I drove him to like my mom's house so he could go in and steal some shit. And we went to the jewelry store to like to pawn it off. And when he went in, I, I guess just reality smacked me in the face all at once. Like I had one of those, like, I don't know if you've ever heard like just called like mirror moments. Like you just catch a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and then all of a sudden like everything changes. And like at that point I was like, yo, I need to, I need to stop. Uh, this has gone way too far. And uh, uh, it was such a surreal moment. Like, it was literally, like, my whole mindset. Like, everything just switched, like, it, on an instant. So I told my brother, like, what happened, like, how I was feeling. And I had to inevitably go to my mom's house and explain to her, like, this is what's going on. Yeah, at this point, wow, so really, neither, just of, like that. neither of my parents had any idea really that I was doing what I was doing at this point. Like even after getting arrested, I just told them I was selling it because I saw how much money there was in it, which wasn't really hard to believe at the time. Mm -hmm. So really just that switch in the jewelry store, like you just, well, it wasn't like a, like a dead stop. Like I didn't stop, you know, um, I was still addicted to the shit. So, okay. But it stopped being cool. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I needed to stop. So I, I made a first attempt. I went to a local detox around here and I ended up just making connects in there. And like within three days, like the place sucked so bad. I wanted to ask you what, like, what is the therapy session? Like, like what do they try and help you through? Well, so so maybe that first place you went, like the first place I went to detox, they didn't try to do anything. It, It was literally just, okay, let's get the shit out of your system. And they medically detox you. So they kind of wean you down with, uh, they were giving us methadone. And they were weaning us down. So you didn't really feel terribly sick, but you didn't feel good. And they got us, you know, down to a little bit. And before I can even finish the detox, like me and these two dudes, I don't even remember their names. Like, yeah, let's get out of here. So we cut out right from the hospital, went straight to Brooklyn, picked up, got high again. So I didn't even really ever get clean at that point. Um, about after that I came back and I like my mom knew what happened like she was she's not dumb so I was like okay that that didn't work 
you know, we need to find somewhere like you need to get me the fuck out of here. Like I can't, I can't look out the window and see my dealer's house and then not go there. Like I need to go somewhere. And that's like, I just went on a mission. Like I picked up that phone and we called every single place. Like we didn't have a lot of money at all. My insurance wasn't great. Actually, we ended up canceling my insurance to get me into the detox because it turned out that if you had state insurance, it was easier to get into the detox at that time than it was if you had like not so good private insurance. So no, no insurance, no nothing, trying to figure out a place to go. And after like two weeks of that, like I'm still getting high, but like I'm doing like not even insane amounts. Cause like at this point, like I was just trying to keep myself from getting sick. I found, uh, we actually just got really lucky, honestly. Like we called tons and tons and tons of places. And then this one place called us back. What do they always tell you when they reject you? Like what's 30, the reason? They don't, they don't reject you, but they tell you, oh yeah, it's $30,000. <laughs> So oh. there it is. Shit. You know, each place was, you know, over 25 grand or 30 grand or this. I mean, that's a month. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them were months. Some were three, some were three months. What costs that much money? Nothing. Well, they're housing you. And I yeah, mean, but that's what I mean. Like, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying. What costs that much money per month for one if, person? If you look how much, life, like, like, well, that's pretty the much demand for your life. Back. They, they hang it over your head. It's bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's, if you look at it, like a, a nursing home is basically the same thing. Let's give you food a doctor, a uh, place to stay and all that stuff. And that's like, I forgot what the average was. It was like four grand a month or something like that. It's like the payout and then rehab is like 30. But we got this one place and they called us back and they just kept calling us back and kept calling us back with lower and lower numbers. We got them down to like 10 grand. So at that point, that's like we just started so much, calling. Dude. I know. But we, we called every family member I had, anyone we could to scrape together like a piece of it to send to them so they would take me. We sent it to them. And two days after I'm on a plane, I'm heading to Albion, Michigan, a okay. place that no one has ever heard of. Nope. <laughs> I have not heard of that place. Too. For a reason, too, because if you went there, you would understand that place was hell. You need drugs to have fun here. <laughs> N- no, you need drugs to live. Like, that place was, like, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, it was so gross. But the rehab was decent. Um, But that's where, like, things really... But isn't that counterintuitive to bring you to a place for rehab that is like super drugged up well it was just basically like a place where they were able to get cheap space huh. ah, gotcha. you know, it's not like you're like you know you're not like walking around outside you know, i mean people could sneak out of their window and they did and they would run down and like all they could really get was crack and like they would sneak out or go to the liquor store or some shit like that but they kicked you out if you got caught so now you're you're in a rehab facility purely on just your motivation to stop. Yeah. Good shit. Yeah. Because uh, I feel like I feel like that's that right there that you just breeze through in that story. That's that hurdle that no, I I I think no one really gets to. A lot of people don't get to that hurdle. We're like, okay, I'm I'm out. White flag. Yeah. Help me. For so many years, well, not so many years, for so much time of your, oh, so many years, actually. So many years of your life where you feel like, I am inadequate, I'm not worth saving. And then there's that point in time where you're like, dude, I'm worth saving. Yeah. yeah, like yeah that that's a hurdle that a lot on. of people, I feel like, just don't get to. It was some, I mean, it was just something about stealing. I don't know if it was, I, I just saw where everything was going. Like, see, watching my brother steal, it was like seeing myself three years in the future. You know what I mean? So I was able to see like 
though this is where this is going it wasn't even a question anymore and like i guess the question must have just passed through like is this what i want yeah something just clicked like something just at that moment was like that i could i can do more than this like i know i could do more than this because it shows you have a heart you're actually affecting other people when you're stealing like once it once it involves someone else then it's like all right wait hold on i don't care about me but like i care about other people still yeah you know maybe that might have something to do with it it could affecting other people negatively yeah especially your own mother like that i mean that that should hit home literally that hit hard you know but uh but yeah so no just rehab was rehab was very interesting um, I, I won't even get into like all the therapies in it because it, that would be like another hour. Of course, <laughs> but, yeah, I, no. but I'm but, I am really curious though on what the process is because, you know, Frank and I run like a health and fitness related podcast, so mm-hmm. we like to preach a lot that focusing on health and fitness and nutrition could be a good. I think we've talked about it once, haven't we? I'm that it could be a good. Uh, what is it like output? Uh, to to. Put your know. energy towards oh, instead of drugs. Absolutely. Oh, outlet, yeah. So, so I'll give you like the you know the, the quick breakdown of it. So, first of all, when I got there, I was told it was a medical detox. I landed to find out that it was a non-medical detox, which means they don't give you anything. Just cold turkey. Right now, I could attempt to tell you what heroin withdrawal feels like, but unless you've experienced it. It's like having the worst anxiety attack you've ever had at the same time as having the worst flu that you've ever had simultaneously. That's probably the best way to explain it. For how long? Like a week. Consistent? Straight. And And, just puking? Oh, yeah. Puking, shitting all over yourself. It's it's, it's real nasty. Crazy. Can't get comfortable. Your skin is... feels like someone's holding ice against it and somehow you're still sweating profusely. It's really not fun like no it doesn't sound fun no, i mean i've, honestly, I've had it. the flu before and had to go to the hospital for that reason like it was that bad not that bad i'm saying but it was so bad to no, where i was it, like i'm helpless there's nothing here i'm completely i'm phys- puking physically I- wise it's pretty much the same thing it's just throwing that layer of anxiety on top of it like yeah. that your brain's telling you that you're dying you're not dying but your brain is screaming at you that you are yeah and not only was it non-med, but they didn't want anything stimulating you to make you, like, really want to go get it. So there was no radio, no TV, no phones, no iPod, no nothing. It was just, like, a couple board games and a bunch of sick drug addicts detoxing. Oh, my God. Do you think shit. Is that beneficial to just be... <laughs> you know what? I don't know for other people, but I know I know I didn't want to ever do that again. That's for sure. That sucked. So after that, then they move you into the regular portion of the program. Regular portion of the program, like I walked out those doors and I saw a gym, and that's that was it. For there me. you go. Like uh, I walked that's right into that hear. fucking yeah, gym, yeah. still sick, still shaking. Through one thirty-five on the bench, banged it out for ten. <laughs> and like the dude, uh, the guys that have been there, like there, there was like the crew, like the workout crew that was in there, and they're mm-hmm. like, dude, how'd you do that? Didn't you just walk out of? I was like, ah. I'm like meant to be in here. Like I need to be here. I'm going to go crazy if I'm not in here. And the most of the stuff, like, don't get me wrong. The program really opened my eyes to a lot of the, like a lot of things. But again, a lot of this stuff I could also attribute to luck. Like I started making a lot of friends in there. I met a girl in there. Like it was a co-ed thing. And it was like, 
in six months, I was able to like relive all those years of like, you know, from 15 to 18, I was able to like relive all those years in six months in a new way. Like I could like retest out who I am, who I want to be, like who I'm becoming. And that's cool. I like, like that. living life like in a vacuum. Lot. Something, you know, like something just... really important happened. And back then it seemed like shit, but like, I think it's really one of the biggest catalysts as to like what changed is at some point, all those people that like I became friends with basically just like stopped talking to me. And like, after like a little while of that, I was what? like, yo, wait, what wait, the fuck why? is wait. going on? Yeah. And they were like, dude, you're just like, you're being like an asshole. And like, I, I was like, I had to take it back. And I was like, you know, my first obviously instinct was to, like to defend myself, but like, Oh fuck you. Well, you're assholes. But then I was like, you know what? Maybe this, like, look where I am right now. Like I can't really be in a position to not be humble. Like I need to stop and think like, what the hell was I doing? And like, that was the first time where I realized like, just because I see myself a certain way, doesn't mean that that's how I'm portraying myself to the world like that's the first time i realized like my actions have way more of an impact than i'm even aware of and that's how i really started kind of falling down the rabbit hole into everything that's, that's that really strong. really that's really trained strong my message life. that's a very strong message for someone to realize yeah be humble bitch <laughs> yeah <laughs> for real wait so do you know why they were they thought you were being an asshole like yeah like i was like being a dick to the girl and they were all like friends with her probably just, like, just petty shit just okay. the demeanor it was no, petty i mean shit. it seems so like yeah we're working out together we're all reliving high school and then it's like, you're a dick no <laughs> over time i'm sure yeah okay. like uh, but i didn't even see it coming i probably could have looking so, back but so after this time is over after this now... time is over i'm now leaving rehab and for the reason I actually was being a dick to the girl without like saying it was like, I knew I wasn't leaving rehab with her, you know? Got it. So how long were you there for? Six months. Six months. Six months. Yeah. Six months at $10,000 a month. No, 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 no. Like we knew <laughs> no. that was for the whole program. That's why we jumped on it. Oh. Cause it was like a program where it was like, it could be three months. It could be a year. Like it was when you, when you graduated the program is when oh, you graduated. So just 10, oh, okay. Yeah. That's, not bad. No, oh, it's actually that's like even, cheaper than even more. Steal. Again, like another <laughs> Friday, another fucking strike of luck. Um, even though it definitely didn't seem lucky at the time, like they accidentally like screwed up entering my mom's information in the computer, so they they put like her stuff in a risky spot, and all of a sudden she started getting all these credit cards in the mail, and like it's like totally screwed her credit. Because they screwed up. So it ended up going from 10000 I ended up going to this six-month rehab for like 6500 bucks or $7,000 or something like that. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah, like there's there's a lot of, you know, like I can look back and like see the things that I did that like made a difference. But there is a lot of luck in the story too. But um, but we were talking about that before. Luck is really just your your preparation meeting your opportunities you know and yeah seizing them like if i didn't make a f- you know 200 phone calls never would have came across yeah, that, exactly you know but yeah. and having the team behind you of people who are willing to support you you know then you find the opportunity and say okay well now i found the opportunity but instead of saying fuck that's too much money i can't make it mm-hmm. then on to the next one you're now saying okay how can we make this work you're already prepared there's the opportunity yeah you know and they meet and obviously not downplaying the luck but you know, a lot of your effort doesn't go un, 
uncharged in this, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's really like where the story begins, honestly. Like that whole hour of, you know, that was my life to explain all of that. It's like, it doesn't even give you an, an idea of who I am today. So like, all right, wasted your time. So, Sorry, guys. No, no, no. Because now this is where this is where everything gets really <laughs> fucking awesome. This is where you, f I'm assuming, find fitness and health, and that's just yeah. like you focus on you now. Now you have yeah. a purpose, right? And you, it was find a, yourself. It was a strong it. combination between fitness and health, and I got like I just started that thing that led me into doing drugs, that like rebelliousness and the curiosity and all of that stuff. I stopped using it as something that damaged me and started using it as something that could help me. So I didn't come at home from rehab and all of a sudden I was like this super clean dude. Like I came home and my biggest issue was with fucking was with opiates. I knew that like I wasn't ready to just come home and like start calling myself an addict and be this super squeaky. Like I smoked weed, I drank and all that stuff. But um, it was more, it wasn't about I need to be perfect. I need to hide from shit. It was about I need to start building myself. And it started with just one small habit at a time. It started with, okay, I'm home now and I, I'm going to go back to the gym every day. And then I started getting into reading because while I was in rehab, I was reading a lot. And uh, I started getting into like Eastern philosophy, which then led me to meditation. So I started now I'm, I'm working out, I'm reading a little bit. And then a couple months after that, then I start meditating and like these things just start slowly piling up. And I definitely wasn't like on my best behavior. I was going out, like I came back and all those friends that I like thought I lost people that I hadn't spoke to that whole year when things got really bad, you know, they were all doing well at that point. And, uh, you know, they welcomed me back with like open arms and, you know, I left and it was like, we were all experiencing like the childhood that like we should have had like we were trying you know, just like living you know what i mean like yeah we were still going out and drinking and doing dumb shit but like i never went back to that mindset that that brought me down it was if something got in the way of one of these new habits that i was trying to build if going out that night and, and drinking till four in the morning was going to stop me from going to work or going to the gym then i didn't do it and my identity just started shifting through all of that. Like there was a lot that happened in rehab that started to shift it. And then as my identity changed and my habits changed, so did my reality. I, it's, it's hard to explain, but like I, I didn't crave dope. I didn't want opiates. I didn't want to. I mean, it makes sense. You just have a higher level of consciousness. Yeah. You know, like you've achieved this level of consciousness where, you know, you could see steps ahead instead of looking for immediate yeah, your perception of what you want. Like your perception is your reality, right? That's yeah. what people like to say. So your perception of what you wanted from yourself and from your life changed. So it's like, okay, those drugs that has nothing to do with me anymore. Like that's not, mm -hmm. you don't associate with you anymore. And you're just like, it, it actually, I looked at it like I look at it now like it, I, when I think about it it's not something that I, oh I can't do or oh it's like it's something that takes me away from who I am it's so, that was the thing that stopped me from figuring out who the fuck I was that was the thing that stopped me from figuring out what I was capable of doing and what I wanted from life and kept me from figuring out how to be happy and have real relationships so like it wasn't something I need to stay away from it became something that I wanted to stay away from it became the thing that kept me away from it but 
like what happens with a lot of people in that sim like that situation and it's just the narrative around addiction and all that shit is just so bad it's just so bad it's like they tell all these people that like okay you just need to just stop using and then you know we could you have to go to this meeting every single night and sit around with these people every single night and you have to do this and you have to do that and it's so like prescriptive and they take away the fact that like these it's so individual like you can't just put this blanket statement that like oh addiction is this or it's that like if i'm addicted to opiates and that guy's addicted to drinking alcohol how the fuck are you gonna tell me we have the same thing we don't have the same thing we're using something for different reasons because we get different results when we use it you know like well, everything everything's different about th those two people the way you grew right. up the way you think the way you process things but they they want to they want to put everything underneath that same blanket statement, give you the same rule book, the same things that you need to do. Meanwhile, like, I think, you know, the thing that has, like, the best rate uh, that, like, that works is, like, maybe, like, 18% success rate. And, like, I mean, like, nothing really works because of that. Like, you can't treat people exactly the same because no one's using the same reasons like is there probably some genetic components to it that make people more likely to become drug addicts or this or that sure but like i said when i when i came home i you know me being the rebellious fuck that i am i didn't want to do it the same way everyone else did it i wanted to do it my way i wanted to figure out because it wasn't me trying to not do drugs it was me trying to become a better version of me and until i made that switch it would have been impossible if it was me just trying to not be who I thought I was. If it was me fighting the identity of the person who does drugs and I walked around calling myself an addict and I telling myself, oh, I can't do this because if I do it, it's going to be so bad. And, you know, and then it's going to make me want to do it like because you were rebellious. Yeah, yeah. it's going to make me want to do it because I'm telling myself that I can't do it rather than I don't want to do it. Like I had to change my identity around who the fuck I was. I'm not weak. Like I'm not someone who's going to just cave back to something just because everyone is telling me that I should. Like I became someone who was just, I want to learn. I want to learn more about myself. I want to learn more about what's going on with me. I want to learn more about mental health and depression. I want to learn more about my body and physical health and why I feel better when I work out. Like it was just through these little realizations like, yeah, I feel really good when I work out. Why is that? And then you start, you know, following that rabbit hole and then you start, you know, between learning meditation and understanding the mind and then understanding how exercising affects the mind. And like those two worlds start coming together. And like all of a sudden I'm starting to piece together this story as to why I was the way I was and how to get past that. And it just started to make sense. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, at that point, you're now what? You're 20 years old. You're 20 yeah. when you get back. I was 20 when I got back. So then, ever since then, you've just been on the same path of just trying to. Yeah. Like in the beginning, like I said, it was sloppy as shit in the beginning. I was a 20 year old kid. Of course. Yeah. You know, I was still going to EDM shows like crazy and taking Molly and all that stuff in the you beginning. You and I were and probably there together. Yeah. <laughs> so, dude, you might have been the dude with the glow sticks. I don't know. <laughs> I never had glow sticks. I had the fanny pack. Oh, okay. gotta have the fanny pack. You gotta have yeah, the fanny. Gotta all, carry the, your drugs. all the supplies. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, now I'm so curious. And, is... and and looking back then, though, like I'm not gonna. That's not like 
I'm not like, oh, that's, I did it the right way. Like, you know what I mean? I probably took a lot of risk that looking back was fucking stupid. You know, I took more than I should have. In fact, actually, I took, like, because I was getting high, I came back and I was going to live at my mom's house. And uh, I came home stoned one night and she's like, are you high? I'm like, I smoked. And she's like, fuck, that's it. Get out. So I got kicked out, like, three weeks from being home. No. So, but like that didn't even break me. I was like, all right, whatever. I'll figure no. it out. I had my car. I was sleeping in my car flow. My friend was DJing and he was DJing only like these college bars and stuff. Fuck yeah. So, you know, I was his bouncer and we would set up his DJ equipment and we would all that stuff. So I would just meet girls and it was at college bars. So I'd go back to the dorm with them and I'd always have a place to stay. What strip? Yeah. The Hofstra strip? Yes, sir. Oh, man. Dude, I worked at we McKeebs. We were with you. There you go. <laughs> I worked at McKeebs. I was a bartender there. Probably DJing while we were out there drinking. <laughs> oh, man. So, all right. So now you get into fitness and well, you're... I, before we go into that, I actually still have okay, a question. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Frank. <laughs> I had a question. Um, I always, I've always said that um, having a better education growing up of everything would stop uh, the want for it. And what I mean by that is, uh, let's take alcohol, for example. And I've talked about this on this podcast already. Mm-hmm. Let's take alcohol. Here in the United States, it's like kids are told, don't drink it. Don't drink alcohol. Don't drink alcohol. With the fucking finger pointed at you, just like, don't drink it. Mm-hmm. Drink it is bad. And then, of course, what do we do? We're like, oh, I'm fucking drinking it now. You know, like you give me a timeout, I'm drinking alcohol. Yeah, especially when like the that. person telling you not to drink the alcohol, like walks out of the room and with a beer, open a beer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how we were. Um, that's how everyone is raised here almost. And then what that turns into is every weekend, let's get blacked out. Like, let's get blacked out. And as I was telling you before, I'm from France and dude, that's not a thing. Mm-hmm. We don't do that over there. And the reason why is because at dinner, you know, grandpa and d- mom and dad and everyone has a glass of wine. And when you're 12, it's like, hey, you want to try the wine? Go ahead, take a sip. You know, try the wine. It's fine. Take a sip. No one cares. Mm-hmm. And it's accepted. And it's like, okay, you learn about the wine. You associate it with not as an absolute no and a bad, but it just says, oh, a glass of wine with dinner, two mm-hmm. glasses of wine with dinner. That's it. Uh, social drinking is just, I remember I was 15 years old. There's no uh, age limit or, or I think there's, I think it's like 15. The age limit for bars and clubs is 15. Um, I was 15 and my cousin in, in France brought me to a club and I'm just like, what the fuck in a club? And I'm getting beers and all we did is we just hung out. We had fun and everyone drank like two or three beers and that's it. No one was like, let's get fucked up, jumping off of tables, breaking shit. So what I'm saying is the education of alcohol mm. for that culture was there. We were educated at such a young age. No mm. taboo here. It's the opposite. Do you think that's that's true with, with everything as well? If you're educated about it from yeah. a young age and there's no taboo. Absolutely. Like, you can't just, like, run around telling people, like, oh, you can't do this. Oh, this is bad. And then and then when you go, why? Because it's bad. Yeah. People are... It's inquis- like, well, like, fuck you. People, yeah. have <laughs> quest- people have questions. We want to know. Like, and there's a lot of people who are going to just do it because they're told not to do it. And then there's a lot of people that are... Had they known... Like you said, like if they were educated on it beforehand and it was just something that was normal, it was indoctrinated in the culture, like every, like it's no longer a thing to be abused. Like it, it's just viewed differently. There's a different cultural agreement to what 
you know, something like alcohol is used for. Like, alcohol and weed aren't gateway drugs. It's being lied to about alcohol and weed that make it a gateway drug. Fuck yeah. Oh, wow, I smoked a joint. I feel really good. And they told me not to. Yeah. Nothing (laughs) bad happened at all. What else we got? Like, you know, like you stop trusting the people that are telling you what they're telling you because no one's giving you real answers. And when you found out for, you know, yourself, turns out they were lying to you anyway. So why would you listen? Yeah, I couldn't be any more accurate with that because that that was my initial that was my initial step was drinking underage, right? Like that was my gateway. I walked into taboo shit, taboo substances with drinking. And once I drank, I was like, this feels amazing. I was told not to do this. Okay, and I knew like my dad was always cool. He's like, "Oh, try the beer." Like if we were at the table, just try it, try it. Or the it's wine. Not like you would like it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't like it. So I was like, all right, whatever. But then my friends who didn't have that luxury, they wanted to binge drink whenever they had the chance. Mm-hmm. So then I realized, oh, binge drinking's a thing. So then from there, I, I just thought you had one drink or two drinks. And then like some people got drunk or some people didn't. I didn't understand the concept. So then as my friends started to binge drink and get to a level that just seemed like pure euphoria i was like i gotta i gotta do this like what yeah. are, what are they doing so that stigma that's created from when you prohibit things you know it, it's like i gotta sit here and believe your story while you're getting bombed just because you're above a certain age yeah that's funny thing i never had a problem with alcohol i was never like a, a binge drink or anything like that and because growing up like there was always wine at the table and like same thing my dad would like give me a sip of his beer when i was younger and all that's like and like there was no, there taboo. was no taboo behind it. There was no, you know, like it was just normal. And I never, never had a problem with drinking. There you go. It's open never education. I mean, imagine we took kids and we explained to them, this is alcohol. This is the history of alcohol. This is how it's made. Mm-hmm. This is what it'll do to you. This mm-hmm. is what it does physically to your body. And this is what people use it for. And these are what people abuse it for too. If you're taught that as a young kid, you're set. Yeah, you see the problem before it even happens, right? And, like, to be able to face these things head on and talk about weed and be like, look, there are health benefits to weed, and this is why it's used this way. But when used out of context, this happens. Or you may feel this. Same thing with prescription. If you start smoking smoking entirely too young, like, you're, you're inhibiting parts of your development. And, like, even worse than that, like, even if you could disprove anything negative against your brain, it's like those years when you're really young are the years where you're supposed to be figuring out who you are. You know what I mean? Like, think about when you're, you know, really young, how many different times have you changed your style and your haircut and the music Oof, you listen to and the I way you just, some of them like you're literally <laughs> you're literally just guessing who the fuck you are the frosted flip to be honest i was just about the frosted <laughs> flip. i had the, the ricky flip. martin dude yes ricky oh, martin frosted flip. you did it too fuck yeah I'm, i need to pull up pictures we're pulling up pictures and putting it together i literally oh, man. because of ricky what martin i flipped and frosted the tip <laughs> wow. holy shit uh dude. did you do that did you frost it? I, I didn't frost but i did i did actually I might have once. I, I did. Frosted I got tips, bro. I'm pulling up pictures. That's yeah, so I got, funny. I got to look through my. Uh, I did have my the third flip, grade. Big but yeah, yeah. But education and just openness is so important. So important. Yeah, and, and to stigmatize it, that creates that rebellious mm-hmm. act. You know, because if it wasn't stigmatized and it wasn't illegal yeah. or it wasn't, you know, uh, you name. There also needs to be term. a much bigger, a much more significant um, part of school and growing up should be mental health, like. Oh, why am I 28 years old learning about 
how my perception of the world dictates how I feel in it. Like, why am I just learning now that, you know, the way I identify as myself is going to be how I show up to the world. Like when you're a little kid, that's when you need it the most. That's when you're so friggin' lost as to like who you are. And you're just trying a whole bunch of stuff, guessing like, well, maybe if I do this, people will like me or if I do that. That's not a bad thing though. No, I don't think as a kid, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's necessary, but it's a very confusing time. Like, so you should be, you should people, understand we should be that learning about we should be learning about human nature like that should be a science class we should be learning about that's yes that's we should be learning about right like there. biases that every people like every human has like what? we all have like confirmation bias and all these things where we're like trying to prove that we're right or we're better than someone and like we're trying to separate ourselves from everybody and like it's all those things that create all this angst and depression and like fear in kids and and that self-loathing and, and like all of that stuff that it's like it doesn't get talked about. You're so right. Because yeah, if it was talked about, if, if if pushing your family away because you wanted to be with your friends and was talked about, like maybe you wouldn't do it. You know, like at the very least, I'd be aware of why I was doing it. You know what I mean? Like, why did I have to go through all of this shit just to learn these things that made me able to cope with? The things that I still do have, which is like anxiety or depression and things. Like, but like those things don't even really affect me anymore because I've learned that if I eat a certain way, my depression very rarely comes back. Or if I meditate regularly, I could keep my anxiety at bay. Like these, these things are so much more important than the stuff that we're taught in school. You don't think we're not algebra is more important? <laughs> You're right. You got me there. Are you kidding? <laughs> so it's like, so as a kid, you're sitting there in school, you're forced to sit down, first off, completely unnatural. You're not releasing the endorphins, you're not playing, you're not right, experimenting. Right, for 45 minutes at a clip, you're just sitting. In you're the, sitting. And, and you got you're, two minutes forced, in between. You're forced against your own will to sit down and do something that is completely uninteresting. And you're with people in a social setting where you can't be social. So now the construct is be antisocial when doing things you don't want to do. And now do this 12 years of your and, the and, next 12 and years be of social your life. when told to. Yeah. So turn it on and turn it off. And then now we're supposed to compartmentalize things. We're supposed to hold back. We're supposed to keep our inside voices and right. use our outside voices when we're in recess. And then now you're fluctuating when kids don't even have the the brain the the brain power and the mental capacity to even understand yeah. why we're turning these things on, turning them off, and when when it's right and when it's not right. And then you feel like an outcast when you feel that discomfort. And just always going to find that one void that, that blows up like a bubble in the background when you don't realize it. And then when you're old enough to make your own decisions and your parents give you freedom, you exploit the shit out of that thing. And that's where that rebellious. Yeah, absolutely. Comes from, you know, and, and, and we're never even taught how to vocalize that, that feeling, that void, that thing. Like we're told to shut up and sit down. Like we're not told, we're not taught how to like actually verbalize our feelings or what's going on in our heads like we're just told what to do because adults know better and you know things this is how everything is because i said so and we're never like given that freedom to express ourselves to be able to say like you know what what i'm going through is no we don't know that what we're going through isn't normal you yep. don't know that Unless we could say it and open up that conversation. That conversation doesn't happen until it's too late for a lot of people. Right, so we should at least structure. And I'm not a fan of safe spaces and shit like that, but you should have <laughs> no. that You should have that 
not safe space, but a private space with a psychologist, childhood psychologist, mandatory every single day. Not even mandatory, but like it should be open to the point where you go, oh, well, you have an hour. You could go speak with this person and you could just talk about anything that's bothering you. At least it used to just be an it, I mean, it is now just an option that they kind of gloss over. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you could go to this person if, like, you're having any issues. Yeah, just yeah, go but to you them. Never uh, anyway, go gym class. And, and like, yeah. you seen going in there. Yeah, exactly. The stuff's not, like, encouraged. A lot but of I can see to... that having holes, too. Because if there's, like, a psychiatrist who wants to push his or her views on the kids, mm-hmm. like, I mean, yeah, then they're that opening up to you. It's own yeah. vetting. But I think just, just like you were saying, just open education on this is how humans act. Right. This is how we talk. This is some issues that we grow up with sometimes some struggles we have to go through this will all happen and guess what you guys right. are all equipped for it these are some things you could do to deal with it these are some people you can reach out if you ever go through one of these it's like education just fucking be open yeah and just it should it. be that like in within your education like you go into school like the second you get into school instead of going into a classroom and getting ca- taught this specific subject you go in and you have like a free-for-all with a bunch of your classmates and be then so much everybody sits down so much blood. and then they talk about all the things that you may be feeling and how to deal with them and this way you're just understanding this vehicle this vessel this life that you're you're introduced mm-hmm. to that you have no manual on you may have faulty parroting you may maybe have what parenting. they could do is we could start recording podcasts and they could play our podcast every day uh, before <laughs> before first out period. The, yeah, we definitely yeah, curse way fucks. too much for that. Yeah. No, we would, we would change it up for schools. And but just, yeah. you know what? It was like it was like what them. we were talking about the other day. The problem is, is that we're never taught that we're way more similar than we are different, right? Like those times when I was using steroids, right, to come off of the drugs and all of that shit. No matter how big I got, no matter how strong or anything, I still hated what I was looking at. So I wasn't using drugs, but I was still experiencing the same emotions and doing it for the same exact reasons, which other people do without the drug end of it. Like there's people that are all sauced up out of their fucking minds and who still hate the way they look and still hate everything about themselves. And are it's a disorder. It's a real bodybuilding disorder. Yeah, absolutely. And for me to say that what I was going through when I was taking painkillers versus what I was going to that is any more real or less real. Like that's bullshit. Like, and we were talking about earlier before, like our feelings are legitimate. If someone has an eating disorder or someone is depression or someone like we shouldn't be comparing, you know, my problems versus your problems. Like we feel the same thing. Like addiction is addiction across the board. Like if you have a shopping addiction, it's still very serious. Drugs gets a little bit more attention because, yeah, it changes like a lot of the neurochemistry as you're doing it. You're making the problem a lot worse that you already had by adding the drugs to it because you're taking away your natural abilities to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like you, you can the walk, feelings the meeting, same. You the walk into of... like a meeting or like a place where people are going to like. You know, stop doing drugs, and you know, someone raising him like, "Oh, I got a year clean," and it's like, then they run outside, they ch- like they chain smoke a pack of cigarettes, they shotgun a Red Bull, and then they all go to the diner and eat fucking cheese fries with gravy. Yeah, America, like, America. like oh, cool, you haven't done drugs in a year, and you're gonna look down on me because I openly say I smoke weed, right? And like someone like that, they're like, "Oh, well, you know, you're not necessarily clean." Then I'm like, "Well, dude, you just ate like 15 pounds of fries, and like." And then you so had f- cake from what you've like- been saying, you're big in nutrition, right? Yeah. I can kind of see that you're big on nutrition, which I love that because a lot of people, <laughs> most of the people aren't. So no. 
but it's it's such an important part but but like my point is that like notice that if their habits are still shitty and they're still destroying themselves with food did they really solve the problem hands down no yeah. right zero but they don't see that people right don't see that red bull and the big but, man but how many part of the how many people are we... going through that problem how many people are overeating and, more than and treating anything? their body like shit how many people are living with depression on a daily basis that don't talk about it because they have no idea that so many people feel exactly like they feel everything i went through there's a billion people who felt exactly the way I felt that I could have very easily used as a resource, reached out to, if I would have known about them. But instead, we have this, you know, our, we just let our ego take over. And ego doesn't mean, oh, I'm being boastful, I'm better than everybody. Ego means, like, you know, they don't understand what I'm going through. You know, yeah. how could they possibly understand what I'm going through? No one knows how I feel. And like, yo, every fucking everybody knows how more feel. people know how you feel than not yeah. that's the part that's even crazier is a high majority of and people if are everyone that was just more open about their bullshit if they stop trying to present themselves as if they have this perfect life and that they have their shit together and we all just admitted that we're all just guessing we're all just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks then we could really make a lot of progress Fuck yeah, but we're in an ego-driven society where that's rewarded. It's rewarded if you look like you have your shit together. It's rewarded if you post the best version of yourself. Yeah. It's and rewarded not show the if reality. you shit on people who are doing worse than you. Exactly, and it's just a pissing match each time. Yeah. To try to get ahead and ahead and ahead, and it's up to us to try to understand what drives that. You and know what's what funny too is like the the ironic thing of it is the people that get the furthest ahead are the people that realize that humility wins. The people that are doing the best in the world, the people like Warren Buffett's and all them, are the ones who are like, I learned a lot of the habits and things that I've adapted from. Like the ones that aren't comparing themselves to other people, the ones that aren't shitting on everybody else. And like, those are the people that just openly admit like, oh yeah, I got problems. But like, okay, this is what I'm doing to fix it. This is how I'm making myself better. This is where I'm weak at. I'm going to go get, you know, a friend over here to help me with that. Like, the people that just could just drop their guard the easiest and just not get emotional and, and all egotistical and everything are the ones who end up having the best lives overall. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, fuck. I'm with that. How far are we along? Dude, we are an hour 45 in. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think we fucking beat the shit out of this one. I yeah. feel great. Yeah. That was an awesome story, dude. Like, no, really dude, thank you for you having me. Here. Like, I don't really like to talk about my story too much because I said to you in the beginning, like, I don't want to be remembered. Like, I don't want my legacy to be like, oh, I stopped doing drugs. Like, I don't even call myself an addict. Like, I don't do any of that bullshit. Like, I'm a normal ass dude. Like, I live a very normal life. I'm super grateful for everything I have. I have an awesome family. I have great friends. Like, I have tons of support. And like, yeah, I did a lot of things to make sure I kept all of that and 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 everything. But like, yeah, I don't want like the pity party that comes with like telling us, "Oh, you're so brave." And no, <laughs> no, I'm not special because I don't do heroin. Like I'm not like I'm supposed to not do that. Like, yeah. you know, what I mean, I share the story because there's so many people that are still going through it. That's there's what I was gonna so say. many people that don't have person. anyone who they can relate to because they see the way I saw things and it, it just repels them. Like. 
they don't want to go and ask for help because the people that they're asking for help are just shoving their opinion down their throat instead of letting the person be a person and like speak. So I guess like if I really had a message for someone who is going through addiction and through problems like that, like dude, find someone to talk to, find a mentor that you like, there are tons of people who understand what you're going through. And if not, like still find someone to look up to, find someone to talk to. And if you're not ready to stop using it, just start building yourself up. It doesn't matter if you're still doing dope. You could still try to drink that extra bottle of water every single day. You could still try to pick up that book during the day. At some point, just start doing little tiny things that could start increasing your self-worth. And eventually, you're going to want to get rid of the things that are holding you back. But like, just because you don't like what you see as options doesn't mean that there aren't options. Okay, yes. dude. I mean, I I didn't know much about your your story before we sat down that time, but mm-hmm. just from the appear the appearance of the outside, you seemed like you had everything together. There was no backstory. There was nothing going on, and like you you present yourself in such a great way, and you're very articulate and smart. And just just seeing, I didn't know anything about you, and I just saw the way you trained. I could tell that there was an intellectual philosophy behind your training, and just to see, just to hear your story this deep, you didn't tell me this any of this shit when yeah. we sat down and talked. So hearing this and then knowing who you are now and spending the past couple of days with you, it's just, it's dude, fucking congrats on thank your you, transformation. It's yeah. unreal. And thank you for sharing the story. Yeah, like, I know it's not like the normal honest. thing to do, you know, to just be open yeah. with, especially me and you, like we just met yeah. two hours ago. So, and you're just I, open and I really appreciate it. I have nothing to hide, man. I have nothing to hide. Just like if someone wants to judge me based on who I was when I was 18, it says more about them than it says you. about me. So exactly. I don't care. People yeah. will be judged if you're fucking perfect. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Like the Always. people who will be jealous of your transformation are going to judge you. That's, that's, see, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the, the only thing, dude. Like, judge. I'm so fucking grateful. Like, that's the key. Like, that's how you just don't care. Like, when people say, oh, I don't give a fuck, like, most of the time they're lying. Mm-hmm. People who really don't give a fuck are people who are, like, truly, genuinely grateful. Because if you're really grateful for what you have, what some schmuck you never met before fucking says about you behind your back, it's not going to fucking matter. It doesn't even process through your head. You're just like, what the hell does that even matter? Like just, you know, I have, so I don't, I don't mind sharing my story. I don't mind being transparent and, and all of that stuff. Like it is what it is. I love it. And I feel, I feel that now that we've gotten like who you are mm -hmm. and the story on our podcast. We'll have you on like other times and we'll just bullshit around because Frank said multiple times that you have such a good philosophy and like outlook on life. And I know we could just pull up fucking topics and just go. Dude, I I had a blast. Whenever you want me back, I will gladly be back. Beautiful. That's fucking awesome, man. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Wrap it up. But uh, actually, really quick. No, let's not. Tell people where they could find you. What Instagram? What's your whatever the fuck else you use? Oh, yeah. Instagram. Um, Instagram. It's just Greg. Chiafalo, G-R-E-G-C-H-I-O-F-A-L-O. And yep. uh, Facebook's link will the be same in the show thing. Notes. And uh, that's pretty much it. And the place you can find me is Instagram and Facebook. And I'm going to start uh, expanding and writing and doing some more stuff down the line. So you'll find out about that when that happens. Oh, yeah. sweet. Hell we'll yeah. talk about it on here. Hell yeah. All right, cool. guys. Thank Thanks. you so much for listening. We appreciate your ears. And uh, if you could just scroll down to the bottom of your apples. Apple iTunes, whatever the fuck you're using, go down there, hit whatever rating system they have and use the top, top rating score you can. And then leave us a little comment. Let us know exactly how you felt. Uh, Positive, negative, indifferent, 
whatever it was who cares yeah we'll uh we'll see you on the next one bye guys appreciate it i'm not fucking leaving